Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Catherine Sugarbroad. Hey, Catherine, how are you? Hey, Bant. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to talk to you, Catherine. Now, Catherine is involved in a lot of exciting things. Uh, she is the founder and chief revenue officer of S-Works. She's also the founder and president of Propertality. Propertality. Uh, and she is also the membership director at Girls in Tech and one of the leaders and founders there as well. And so we've got a lot of activity that Catherine is involved in in the technology space. Um, I would say the transformational business space. And certainly one of the areas that's a major passion point for her is small business and bringing small business to life and pushing it to the next phase and next level. So Catherine, we got a lot to talk about today, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Oh, so, well, uh, so I grew up in a techie family. Uh, you know, my dad was a physicist and became a Silicon Valley CEO. My mom was a programmer before it was popular to be a software programmer. My brother was a software programmer. Um, we were the first family on the block to have an Apple IIe. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. So yeah. I guess it was sort of inevitable that I would end up in tech, uh, but my career was windy. I started out uh, doing PR and, you know, but I've always been curious about how other parts of the business work. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to be a product manager. And so I started to work my way there, product marketing, and then finally I got to be a product manager. And as soon as I was there, I was like, oh, I wonder what sales is like. And so I worked my way pricing and sales operations. And I finally got an opportunity to carry a bag. And um, even though I was making a lot of lateral moves across um, the organization and getting to see how different parts of the of businesses function, I also was getting increased responsibility with each move. And over time, you know, I love a great challenge. I became known as a transformational leader, and I was eventually entrusted with the leadership of Verizon's $30 billion small business portfolio. Wow. Um, very passionate about small business. I've um, been selling into them or building products for them for most of my career. And so eventually I left corporate America and started my own uh, businesses, couple businesses. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've developed a very unique perspective, I think, on small business, not only selling into them and building products for them, but as a small business owner myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I still consult uh, on the topic and give keynote presentations. I also have a unique perspective on what it's like to be a woman in tech, which mm -hmm. is sometimes challenging. Yeah. And my desire to give back to and support other women in tech has led me to led me to be part of the girls in tech uh, board here in New York. That's and, excellent. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, there's a lot, a lot there. And I just wanted to kind of pull out a couple of the things that 
really resonate uh, with me and certainly uh, I know that have been key for you. So there's this idea of transformational leadership and just love to hear a little bit from you on you know, what that is in your mind and, and maybe some of the things that you've worked on in that area. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons for me uh, in being a transformational leader is that people aren't always logical. Uh, and uh, there's actually a book I read early on in my career called um, Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard, uh, and, which I highly recommend. And uh, they talk about appealing to um, the both the rational and the emotional brain within yourself, if you're trying to change yourself or within an organization or what, you know, um, and, um, and they talk about it using the analogy of the rider and the elephant. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, Van. That's it's, great. Yeah. Well, tell yeah. us more. Yeah. So the, um, so basically the rider sits on the elephant, obviously they're supposed to be the rational brain, right? So they see the path, you're going to appeal to them through data and facts and, and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, they're sitting on an elephant, which is 10 times their size. That's the emotional brain. And if the emotional brain and the rational brain are in disagreement, the elephant is always going to win. And so you really need both of them to be aligned to really get the kind of change that you want. And um, I think a great analogy for that is like the the, you, the rider is the one at night that sets the alarm clock for six o'clock in the morning because you want to have time to have your coffee and your shower and everything. And then the elephant's the one that presses snooze 10 times in the morning and ends up rolling out of bed just 10 minutes before the meeting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we, you know, when, when, whenever I embark on something that's transformational, um, and I can use a, a, an example when I was at Verizon and we were reimagining the small business portfolio there, um, that was like an enormous transformational project. It right. wasn't something that any single team or any single person could do because we imagine, reimagine the portfolio, but also the digital experience around it. Um, and so it touched every part of this of Verizon, which was a Fortune 15 company. It was an, yeah. you know, many, many teams. And so we had to motivate those teams to work on something that was kind of very difficult. And so we appealed to the writer, the rational brain, right? We, we did lots of research. We had all the data to tell them this is what customers want. The evidence mm -hmm. is clear, right? But that wasn't enough. We also had to get them emotionally invested in the project right mm -hmm. so you know not only we painted a beautiful picture of what this new digital experience would look like something that they could be proud of but we also shared horrifying experiences of customers right on you know that had taken days to get their account set up or mm -hmm. you know simple things like that and and by doing that and then there's also a, a third concept called shaping the path which is really just you know, servant leadership band, it's, mm -hmm. you know, people are gonna, if the, the path is smooth and easy, they're gonna, they're gonna go that way. If the path is full of obstacles and debris, obviously it's gonna be more challenging. So mm -hmm. as a servant leader, you know, 
when you're when you're a transformational leader, you have to wake up every day and say, look, how do I help the team, you know, take more steps down the path? I'm yeah, I find it really interesting because you're absolutely right in large organizations transformational leadership, it's a delicate art sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily always get rewarded by being the transformational leader, right? Because you sometimes actually have to do the hard stuff that, yeah. that no one else will do. But I love the idea of thinking about being transformational and then applying that, I guess, rational and emotional thinking to small businesses. Uh, small business is a, an area that I share your passion. It's an incredibly important area. You know, I think in America, we often joke because you hear phrases like small to medium-sized businesses, but that's actually an enormous category. It's an enormous category. You know, I think with some of the organizations that we work with, small businesses could be any business below a billion dollars, you know, in revenue. And you're just like, that's that's a big business. There's a lot of variation there. So, so I'm excited to hear more about small business and what you have been working on over the years. And clearly I see that probably leading into the work that you've done at your own startups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think personally, I think you have to be a sociopath not to be, get excited about helping small business. I mean, they're like the classic underdog, you know, David versus Goliath. The odds mm -hmm. are stacked against them. Uh, you know, they're trying to compete against these, you know, the large, well-resourced enterprise. Um, you know, I think everybody wants them to win. And that's initially what really attracted me to them. But, I, but also, like you said, I mean, they're a vital part of our economy. They're mm -hmm. almost half of our GDP. Um, and they're really embedded in the fabric of the communities, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, you know, even if, if, if small business isn't your, your only segment that you're going after, the, the ability to, to own Main Street or to be a, a, an important part of Main Street, if you will, can open up avenues to consumers in that town or other businesses in that town. And so um, people, uh, you know, businesses of all sizes are interested um, in small business, they're an important market for technologies and services, but a lot of businesses don't really know how to, they don't understand the segment. They don't know how to go after right. them. I mean, you know, they, they, they take their enterprise product and they try to water it down for a small business, or mm -hmm. they take a product that's really designed for a consumer and they put a couple more bells and whistles on it. And they say, oh, mm -hmm. this is our small business version. Um, and, uh, you know, and so over the years I've conducted like layers of ethnographic, qualitative, quantitative research into the segment, you know, my own personal experience. Um, and I've learned the hard way, you know, how, how they survive, how they buy, yeah. how they think, you know, why. And so, um, you no, know, it's, it's really, for me, an, a very important grouping. I often get a little frustrated when I think about how startups get funded because mm. um, there are companies, many ideas that could actually expand to be very successful, small to medium-sized businesses. However, 
the way VC and fundraising is really structured, almost all of those businesses generally struggle and fail because, you know, they'll get, they'll, they'll overvalue those businesses to start and then they'll have a down round and boom, boom, boom. But so what could have been a promising, let's say anywhere between a 30 million to a hundred million dollar business, which in my mind, America and the world needs more of those because that's actually what builds community. We lose those. You know, how do we make sure that we protect them, uh, protect these small businesses and make sure that they don't get kind of vetted out when people are looking for the unicorn? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's, you know, there can only be so many unicorns. And, uh, you know, it, it. what's interesting is that there are a lot of new uh you know funding sources now for small businesses yeah. right uh and actually i can't remember the statistics exactly but it's a very small percentage of small businesses that like you said get uh that end up getting their funding through vcs right yeah. um uh and a lot of them burn a lot of energy trying to get funded by vcs when yeah. they might have better luck actually you know find getting other sources of funding through you know by leveraging you know their company assets or or or, or other me angel funding um and uh you know it's really that that's an that's you know really real challenge i think for me um my big area that i like to focus on is the digital transformation of small right. businesses right because they are really disadvantaged. I mean, it's an interesting time because when you think about it right before the pandemic, I mean, less than 50% of small businesses even had a website, you know? Right. And now, right, uh, I think 72% increased their online presence and the majority are continuing to invest in that technology. Um, and there's kind of been an explosion of SaaS offerings out there that helps them get, you know, the, the basics covered. I mean, they're practically being inundated by all the SaaS offerings that are out there right now. Um, but there's still, what's still elusive is some of the more advanced technologies like artificial intelligence. I mean, right. what, what they can access is very limited. What they can do from a personalization uh, perspective that makes your marketing a lot more effective yeah. is very limited. It's such a great point. I remember when I had a little bit of a serial entrepreneur at this stage, but you know, some of the earlier companies and you're trying to implement things like CRM systems and you go to try to have a conversation with Salesforce and you know, they want to lock you in on these annual contracts up front. And you're sitting there like, you guys do know that I'm like a startup, <laughs> you know, an annual contract is a bit scary. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a million businesses that they're like, oh, yeah, I started out at the $99 a month you know, subscription, and now I'm paying like $700 a month, or I'm paying, you know, I and 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 they get and a lot of times these technologies, they they promise the world, but they're not really a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. Because every biz small business is just as unique, but yeah. they but, you know, companies don't necessarily treat them that way. They try to form fit them because that's the only scalable model, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, you end up with, you know, we, I worked with the roofer last year. He was the record holder. He was running his business on 14 different apps. And wow. he was spending, yeah, and he was just your run-of-the-mill roofer and, you know, in Dallas, right? And he's spending $50,000 a year on on apps and none of them really work together. And, and but, you know, he likes this one for this and that one does this better. And, and so his team was swivel chairing between all the different apps and his business. I mean, it's, it, it can be really, really painful for them. Um, and that's why like at S-Works, instead of trying to force fit, small businesses into a certain, you know, application, um, we actually focus on uh, providing them with custom applications very inexpensively using uh, low code and no code uh, capabilities. So we, you know, we treat every small business as a unique business. Yeah, I love that example. That's a really excellent case study of exactly what we're talking about. But let me shift gears a little bit and talk about something that I know that you spend a lot of time on, and that is as a board member at Girls in Tech and really looking at the topic of women in technology in general. It's certainly a known issue where development in large companies still is heavily skewed to the boys. So tell me how Girls in Tech is tackling that and helping to come up with a more equitable solution. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really important time I think to be focused on, you know, gen diversity in general, but especially gender diversity. I mean, women really were hit pretty hard by the pandemic. Um, it's all you know very small changes and stuff, but they lost their jobs at a greater rate than men. Mm -hmm. Women-owned businesses went out of business at a greater rate. Um, you know, violence against women increased. They were mm -hmm. at a, a, you know, disproportionately vulnerable to, you know, the financial pressures and the emotional stress that came along with, with the pandemic. Um, and so it's, you know, I think more than ever, it's it's important to really focus on women in any professional role, not just in tech, um, just to help them get their footing again, you know, because right. we kind of lost at the movement, if you will, sort of lost ground during the pandemic when we were all just sort of focused on surviving. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, we, we at Girls in Tech, we really try to focus on uh, women at you know, in any stage of their career, but the problem really starts early on. Um, and, you know, McKinsey's done some research that shows uh, how the drop off, I guess, if you will, of pro yeah. you know, women getting promoted at every rung in the ladder, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might be familiar, Bant, that they, you know, just in that first rung from, you know, man from, uh, individual contributor to manager mm -hmm. there's um there's what there's a 14 percent drop off right so right. for every 100 men that are, that are promoted is 86 but you might be surprised to know that in tech that's even more pronounced so it's actually 56 to 100. Wow. so um and so we actually wow. girls in tech actually did some research with mckinsey to look into the causes of that 
Um, it's a great organization. In addition to research, we also focus on professional development. We give connections and guidance like mentorship programs and networking events. Um, and then we try to connect women with the right jobs. We started out 15 years ago in San Francisco. We're now a global organization in 55 cities and 37 countries. So very proud to be a part of the organization and the, and the work that we're doing there. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's something that needs to be thought about in terms of, you know, immediate issues, right? Immediate hires, immediate promotions, but also really deep planning for generational change. And that I think is the beauty of the organization that you and your colleagues have been able to build in Girls in Tech. It's the generational change that we really need to make sure happens and it's tricky. The thing that you mentioned about the manager stuff, it's so horrible to hear that. And especially also because, you know, any intelligent person kind of sees the biases right up front. And so it's kind of like, how do we tackle this? And I think for all of us, it's how do we tackle this faster, right? Because any intelligent person sees the issues. So now the issue is like, how do we affect and build this world that we all think should be here now or should have always been here, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you nailed it, Van. And it's not even, it's not just like, oh, men are keeping women down. I mean, it's like yeah. women keep themselves down. I mean, it's like, it's all, it's just part of the fabric of society and how things have always worked and the societal norms and, yeah. and that unconscious bias, it doesn't change without deliberate intentional action, unfortunately. And so, you know, and everybody's going about their busy day lives, you know, and you're just, you're just try surviving and trying to make something happen, you know, and, 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 and to stop and think about what you're doing and add right. an intentional element is tough, you know, yeah, it is. right. And really kind of try to shift away from kind of institutionalized barriers that should be rethought, re-envisioned. So that's excellent. Well, listen, tell me a little bit about this year for you, Catherine. What's uh, on the docket for 2022 and what are you thinking about? Yeah, I think it's a big opportunity for, I think there's a big opportunity for small business um, this year, but there's still a lot of areas that are going to be challenging for them. I mean, the uh, the the supply chain issues, inflation, obviously small businesses, you know, don't have the kind of resources to be able to, to um, carry some of that uh, right. or absorb some of that. And, uh, you know, so they're having to raise their prices and that makes them less competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from a girls in tech perspective, I think I mentioned earlier, I think it's it's time for us to double down uh i think that um you know what's going to be interesting there is we're we're starting to experience a serious labor shortage right yeah. and you know i like to think that you know the gender gap is going to be fixed because it's the right thing to do but the reality is that what mo motivates people to fix that gap faster is is when it makes business sense and right. you know paying attention to that that talent right the women that are out there that are part of the talent pool i think is is uh is uh is only going to help that that cause for sure yeah no that's a really good point 
Catherine, we've covered a lot of ground today. I mean, I love the stuff that you're working on. Uh, we've been speaking with Catherine Sugarbroad. She is the chief revenue officer and founder of S-Works. She is the founder and president of Propertality. Uh, and she is also a board member for Girls in Tech. Um, we've been talking about digital transformation. We've been talking about the importance of small business. And in fact, actually, um, what I what I really liked what you were talking about is how you have to think about the tech stack differently for small businesses and be aware of how to craft that in a more intelligent way. And it sounds like a lot of the work that you've done at S-Works has been able to help in that regard. And then certainly the generational challenges of girls in tech, as well as the immediate needs for making sure that we have gender equity in technology today, not only because it's a nice to have, but it's an obvious need to have and can help us through some of the challenges that we're facing as society. So Catherine, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. Um, if someone wanted to reach you, where can they find you? I'm very active on LinkedIn and I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the program and we look forward to having you back.